Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. I was eight years old when I received the opportunity of a lifetime. Now, take in mind the opportunity of an eight-year-old's lifetime, but I was a member of the Mount Albion Elementary School Skipping Club. <laughs> That's right, the Skipping Club. And we had just been invited to perform on the Victoria Day long weekend, the May 24th long weekend, in front of thousands of people uh, maybe just hundreds, but felt like thousands, over at the Valley Park Fields before their annual fireworks celebration. This was a huge event. If you're familiar with the area, if you used to go to it, you know this was big. So I interpreted this as my moment. It was my moment to shine. So the day of the performance came, I put on my favorite neon green spandex shorts, I was that cool and I put on my team t-shirt and I was going to outperform everyone. So my dad and I walk over to Valley Park but we had some time to kill just before that. So I was living my best life, we stopped off at the playground. That's right, an eight-year-old's dream. I'm running around on the playground until I came to the monkey bars. Now the monkey bars, they're always an adventure. You're swinging from one rung to the next. And I decided that today was my day and I was gonna jump, not to the first rung, not to the second rung, but to the third rung. I was gonna do this. So I pushed off from the platform with all that I could. And I can only imagine this abyss below as I'm flying through the air, reaching for it, and I grabbed it. I did it. This was my day. I was unstoppable. I climbed back on the platform and I eyed the fourth rung. And I jumped, reaching as far as I could, and I grabbed it. And I'm thinking, what's happening? Who had I become? So my dad then said, hey Kev, why don't you try for the fifth rung? So I climbed back on the platform. I inched my toes over the edge and with all of my might, I jumped through the air with my arms out in front of me, flying through the air like Superman. And just as I approached the fifth rung, I felt my fingers successfully reach it. But I instantly knew the trajectory of my body was not going up to grab it, but was going down. I can still feel my fingers being bent backwards as they slid off the rung with the weight of my eight-year-old body hurtling toward the ground below. I hit with a thud. I'd never experienced at that time the wind being knocked out of me. So this is what it feels like to not be able to breathe, gasping for air. If you haven't experienced it, don't. It's not much fun. But why do we do this? Why do we keep striving for more, for bigger, for better, for more results, more success, more stuff, more experiences, more highs? Why do we keep striving to climb the ladder, to jump for the next rung until suddenly we don't make it? While it's going on in our favor, we're on cloud nine. We're feeling great. We're on top of the world. We're unstoppable until suddenly we're not. Our culture, 
our society, everyone around us tells us and encourages us to keep going, to go for that last rung, try harder until suddenly we can't make it or we don't make it. But we often don't realize it until we're face down on the ground. We've simply hit bottom. Have you ever noticed that a lot of people's stories of transformation have when, uh, is when they've hit rock bottom? I believe there's a reason for that. But that's why I'm excited for our new series, The Next Right Thing, because my desire is that this will help you cultivate a simple, soulful practice for making life decisions. My prayer is that it will help you make wise decisions before jumping for that last rung. Is the last rung even worth it? Is the last rung what you want? Or have you been living with your life kind of on autopilot, just letting it pass you by? Or have you been programmed and told by all those around you that this is what you should be doing? Again, have you noticed that many stories of life transformation start with hitting rock bottom? Or after receiving the tragic news that we only have so much time left to live? I believe it's because at that moment we become aware of what's around us. We, we become aware of our decisions, the options, the opportunities, the weight of what these decisions will have. It comes into clear focus. You see, our attention is under attack. It's valuable. And people, and especially businesses, are wanting it. While preparing for this message, I watched a recent Netflix document documentary called The Social Dilemma. And in it, they interview people from Twitter, Instagram, Google, Pinterest, Facebook, so on. And they reveal that over the course of the last decade, our attention has become the product. That's pretty scary if you think about it. In fact, one person said that even that was too simplistic. But in fact, our own behaviors, the gradual, slight, imperceptible change in our behavior and perception that result from what we give our attention to, that is the product. And these businesses are competing for your attention and to get you to stay on your phone or their site or the social platform in order to sell your future behaviors to advertisers. If you haven't seen the documentary, I highly recommend it. It's quite eye-opening and revealing to what's going on behind the scenes without us even being aware of it. Another says that we are more profitable to a corporation if we're spending time staring at our screens, staring at an ad, than if we're spending time living our life in a rich way. So tonight, I want to invite you to live in a rich way. I want to invite you to embark on this journey with me as we look at cultivating this practice of simply doing the next right thing. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the benefits of doing the next right thing. And tonight, I want us to start looking at some of the building blocks of actually developing this practice in our lives. So I'm not necessarily going to give you this how-to and step-by-step -step, micro level approach, but rather I want us to fly higher at the 30,000 foot level, looking at the macro level of how we can discern. 
So the first step toward discerning what the next right thing even is, is that we need to create space. Space for our soul to breathe. Space for your mind to rest so it can think clearly. Space so you can discern what the next right thing even is. And I believe that when we create space for our soul to breathe, we'll discover that many of the clues, the answers, the, the wisdom that we've been longing for regarding our next decision is in fact already within us and around us. So I want to invite you into the story of this guy named Moses. It's a story recorded thousands of years ago, but it's a story that carries with it so much truth and wisdom still today. It's found in the Bible in a book called Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. And what happens here is incredible. So I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, Horeb. I want to pause here for a minute and just say this is a bit anachronistic, claiming it to be the mountain of God. It, this has already taken place. Moses is going there. He's not expecting anything. He is not acknowledging that it's the mountain of God. This is kind of put on it as a label for what happens in the rest of Exodus. So I just want you to be aware that Moses isn't going here expecting to meet God. So let me continue. The angel of God appeared to him in flames of blazing fire out of the middle of a bush. He looked. The bush was blazing away, but it didn't burn up. Moses said, what's going on here? I can't believe this. Amazing. Why doesn't the bush burn up? God saw that he had stopped to look. God called to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, yes, I'm right here. God said, don't come any closer. Remove your sandals from your feet. You are standing on holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. I love this story because I love being reminded of these truths that are hiding in plain sight. These truths that are always present, but they're not always seen. And the first truth is that God is active. Pay attention. In the ancient tradition, this story about Moses and the burning bush, the rabbis say that the bush didn't suddenly start burning when Moses came upon it. That's sometimes been an interpretation that it suddenly lit up in flames and got his attention. But rather, these rabbis say that it had been burning the whole time. Moses was simply moving slowly enough and paying attention enough to actually notice it. Which raises the question, are you moving so fast? Are you so stressed and distracted and your head down reading the latest notifications and text messages that you're passing burning bushes all day long? You see, thousands of years before you and I ever existed, what did exist was the struggle of paying attention. This is nothing new. More precisely, the struggle of paying attention to the activity of God. 
even when we look ahead to the time of Jesus, it was still a struggle. So he models for us what paying attention looks like, what it entails. We read in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus would often withdraw to out-of-the-way places, to lonely places, to pray. Jesus would leave the crowds, the commotion, the hustle and bustle of everyday life, and he would pray. He would focus himself on what truly mattered. He would connect with his Heavenly Father. He, he was unhurried. He paid attention to where God was at work. So whatever it is that you find yourself in the midst of on any given day, from laundry and meetings and traffic to going to class or logging in Zoom and answering emails and driving kids around, I want you to learn to live like you're not missing a thing. Like your eyes are wide open, fully awake to where you are and to where God is active. And as we continue on in this story about Moses and the burning bush, Moses doesn't take his sandals off because the ground suddenly becomes holy. The ground has been holy the whole time. In other words, this story is about Moses becoming aware of it. The second truth is that God is present everywhere. Be aware. You see, Moses is tending his sheep, just like he's been doing in the same region for 40 years. And I wonder how many times he's passed this spot, how many times he stood in this place. But this time, he comes up upon a burning bush. His curiosity is piqued. He pays attention to it. He moves a little closer, and he hears the voice of God speaking to him and telling him to take off his sandals for the ground he's standing on is holy. Do you and I walk on holy ground all the time, but again are moving so fast, returning so many calls and writing so many emails that we simply miss it? As one author writes, according to the ancient Jewish worldview, God is not somewhere else. God is here. It's God's world, and God made it, and God owns it, and God is present everywhere in it. Earlier in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, a man named Jacob has a dream in which God speaks to him and reminds him of his destiny and his purpose. And do you remember what Jacob said when he wakes up? He wakes up and says, God is in this place, and I wasn't aware of it. God has been there all along, and Jacob is just beginning to realize it. He's waking up from a physical sleep, but he's also waking up from a spiritual sleep. You know the stories that people tell, and they say something about powerful, something powerful that's happened in their life, and they finish by saying, and then God showed up. As if God were somewhere else, and then decided to, hey, swing by and lend a hand. But you see, God is always present. We're the ones who show up. God is always present. We're the ones being called to wake up, to become aware of God's presence, that all ground is holy. We're being called to recognize that the world is soaked in the divine presence of God. The story of Moses at the burning bush ends with an invitation. 
You see, at this point, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, God's people, are in captivity. They are slaves to the Egyptians. They are being driven into the ground with slave labor. They are oppressed. Egypt has its boot on their neck. But God takes notice. God hears the cry of the oppressed. God always hears the cry of the oppressed. And God uses this moment with Moses and the burning bush to tell Moses that he's going to use him to set his people free. Which brings us to the third truth that God is inviting you to live freely as you do the next right thing. You see, Exodus is about a people, a tribe, a nation being rescued from slavery, from bondage, from oppression. And Moses hears the voice of God speaking to him from a bush that's not consumed about his people who are oppressed and their need to be delivered from the land of Egypt. One commentator suggests there's actually two levels of interpretation here. One is that the self-sustaining fire that requires no substance for its existence or its perpetuation is a clear representation of the divine presence. And the second level is that the bush that remains intact while the fire consumes it may be symbolic of the people of Israel surviving Egyptian oppression. And I love the imagery of that because it reminds me and assures me that no matter what you're facing, God is with you. God will bring you through it. But the most comprehensive term for what God is doing here and for what he does for us to get us out of the mess that we're in is salvation. You see, salvation isn't merely forgiveness of sins. That's an aspect of it, but salvation is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Salvation is the biggest word in the vocabulary of the people of God. The Exodus is a powerful and dramatic and true story of God working salvation, of God setting free. I love how God presents salvation to us in story because it helps capture our imagination as well as serves as an invitation to participate first through our imagination and then if we will by faith with our total lives in response to god you see as we carve out space in our schedules as we create space in our souls to pay attention to be aware and recognize where god's at work to notice the burning bushes in our lives and realize that the ground we're walking on is holy we will be set free you see, from the very beginning, God has been at work setting us free. Free from the Egyptian slavery, free from the dominant Roman Empire of Jesus' day, free from the, the endless cycles of violence and oppression that have held people down for centuries. So what does this mean for us? What opportunities and possibilities does this create? I believe it's endless. Because you see, we are free. There is joy in being free. Being free is a gift. You are free to slow down, to savor, to taste, to embrace, to take your time, to choose, and to do the next right thing. Being free 
reminds us what God has done. That we don't need to sweat the small stuff, so to speak. That we can rest assured that where we are, we are still with God. And that he is leading us and directing us and calling us and inviting us to participate as we simply do the next right thing. See, you have a gift. You've been given a gift. It's this gift of freedom. And you have this gift to share with others because it's a gift which sets them free as well. But it requires us creating space to recognize the activity of God, to where he's at work, to his presence, and then responding to his invitation of doing life together, of living free. So as you create space for your soul to breathe this week, whether it's a couple minutes or a couple hours, I invite you to reflect on these questions. Invite a trusted person into it, a spouse, a friend, a son, daughter, or even me if you want to call me up and work through some of this stuff. I'd be happy to. But here are the questions. What do you give or what takes the most of your attention? Be honest with yourself. Where in your day or week can you create space to pay attention? Did people in the Bible wrestle through decisions in the same way we do? I like this one because it kind of brings these characters and these stories to life. And then as you simply do the next right thing in front of you, wash the dishes, reply to an email, have that conversation, ask yourself this question. Am I being pushed by fear or led by love? And last, where do you see Jesus at work in your life? Are you living freely with him? This week, I pray that as you pay attention to where God is at work, that you become aware of his presence that is all around you and that you trust him as you step out in faith and in freedom and simply do the next right thing. Let's pray. God, we confess that we live distracted lives and often at such a rapid pace that our bodies just buzz with constant activity. We're so used to living that way that we don't always even recognize you for who you are and what it is you're doing in our lives. And while this might be common, let it not be our normal. Remind us that we don't have to work our way to you. We don't even have to force ourselves to calm the chaos around us. We simply have to recognize that you've already made your way to us in Jesus. God, you're already an active and present with us everywhere. Remind us of your invitation to live freely with you. And God, may we continue to not keep this gift to ourselves, but may we rejoice with confidence and boldness and share this gift of freedom with our friends, with our family, with others, as you continue to set us all free. Thank you for your spirit that has been breathed into each of us, that lives within each of us, which means there is hope for each of us. God, as you invite us into each moment to simply do the next right thing, 
may we respond in love, in truth, and in grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.